Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games as play and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me as always is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back, and this time it's true because we have been away. We've been on hiatus. I briefly contemplated hitting you up and being like, um, hey, should we record one of those five-minute segments that people sometimes do for their podcast when they are in- and dealing with an unannounced skippage of some sort? Um, yeah. We'll, we'll reserve that for a later date. One of these days, we'll definitely have to drop the like, oh, hey, it's not actually a podcast podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, part of that was the grievous psychic wound. That the death of Blaseball inflicted upon us and upon the pod. And upon the pod. Absolutely. You know, I was um, kind of, uh, I was listening to the pod and I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's a good thing we're not just a Blaseball pod last episode. And then I'm like, nonetheless, we definitely have taken a hit as if we were a Blaseball pod. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I'm still having reflective moments, that kind of later stage of morning a thing um i did get my my order in um before baseball cares closed up shop as Mm -hmm. i mentioned grabbed a t-shirt so tempted to grab a jersey but i just couldn't close the deal on it yeah my 50 dollars isn't that much but it's a garment that i'm like when am i going to actually wear this (laughs) yeah yeah like it's so cool looking but when am i going to wear this you know so uh, who knows if there's some kind of baseball carries returns, then I might wind up being like, oh, fuck it. I really should have done that. But I'm going to assume that that they're done for now. And the merch we've got is the merch we've got. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the one you got with sort of the angelic wings, was that a a, a post death design or? I don't think so. No, okay. because it's uh, it's L.A. Tacos. So yeah. City of Angels. City of Angels. Exactly. With the wings cradling a taco up the at the <laughs> apex. Yes. Um, you know, 72 degrees and infinite. Just really good graphic design on that one. I was uh, kind of tempted to go with a hat and I maybe I I almost I almost never wear ball caps. Yeah. Like I almost did it anyway because it's a good looking hat design with the infinity uh, number on it, the taco on it. I was like, oh, this is this is good design. It was a close thing. But like uh, I'm like, I'm not even in a remotely ball cap wearing phase right now, which I have them once in a while. But it's like. Probably in Los Angeles, I should be, <laughs> you know, yeah, that sun beaten down, uh, but, uh, you know, sunscreen is applied, but ball caps, not usually. Hmm. Did you wind up doing any last minute merch grabs? No, I was also tempted, but I've got three t-shirts and the bomber jacket. I had a bomber jacket for sure. Yeah. And the, the t-shirts, uh, I wear them a lot and I wear them to work. So the design is, is fading and, and crumbling away, sure. uh, but that's okay. You know, that's what I'll happens always, to t-shirts, you know, yeah. we'll always have the memories and, um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely have been thinking about baseball a bit as well. Um, you know, most of the, uh, the worst of, of the grief I think is, is over, but, uh, there'll always be a, a part of us that, you know, thinks about baseball. Yeah. No, I mean, um. I think I just babbled about this the other day that, um, you know, it's trite and silly to say baseball lives on in us, but, um, but at the same time, like there's a truth to it that anyone who's engaged in uh, design or commentary about games um, who experienced baseball, it will animate our thinking about 
other games. It mm -hmm. will always be an anchor and a point of reference for how we construct our world of understanding uh, and, and planning and designing around games and, and game-like experiences. Um, and that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, and hey, and baseball in some ways is the friends we made along the way. Infinite Cities um, have sunset their Infinite Cities baseball brand and are relaunching as a video game book club podcast that's just Infinite Cities. Okay. It popped up a brand new Discord server. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to roll over here. And it's like, meanwhile, the, the taco stand is still an active Discord server as well. Um, you know, with various conversations going on around various stuff. So, so there's that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, as we alluded to last episode, uh, Diablo four is, uh, coming at the perfect time for Holy us. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've been spending a lot of time diabling. Yeah. That's not a verb I will ever try to use again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're welcome. But where to, you know, where to, where to begin? Start? Well, you know, you were asking me in the last episode about what my plans were. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's worth queuing our listeners in on what we decided to roll with in terms of our character classes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd started off with uh, Necro and um, have been enjoying that. It's, you know, hands off in in a ways. I really have like three actual skills that I use and the rest of my hot bar is somewhat unfortunately taken up by the skeletons. Um, I have one slot for the regular skeletons and another slot for the golem. So, you mm -hmm. know, two of the whatever six actions, you know, I re-res my minions, and and that's about it. Uh, right, that, if right. Need be um, seven so, actions. Yeah, is it seven? Um, six and a dodge. I don't Three, know. four, five. No, it's six. Quite yeah. right. Six, yeah. and then dodge and heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just the six. Yeah, it's like half your half your bar. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been enjoying that. Um, and. I wasn't quite getting the as much Diablo as apparently I wanted with uh, our co-op, so I rolled up a Barbarian, a yep. Whirlwind Barbarian, and that's just so much fun. And the movement speed, like she runs super fast and has these shouts that benefit us both, and then yep. I'm just like in the middle of the pack, just spinning and spinning and spinning. Yeah, yeah, for Body sure. And I mean, yeah, you're having so much fun with your Barbarian that you're like, I want to roll this over for our co-op instead. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I don't think there's going to be a problem either way. There's synergy between, well, all of the classes that we've experienced so far anyway. Yeah. Uh, and the literal coup de grace of the class is Deathblow, where uh, it does an insane amount of damage, uh, usually not quite enough to kill an enemy, but, you know, three quarters of their health. But if it and it has a 14 second cooldown, which is a long time, but if you kill with it, it immediately resets. And also if you kill with it, it's got this great thunderclap kind of resounding whoosh, kind of noise to let you know that you've killed and then it's it's up again. And furthermore, for me, Excellent. it puts me into berserking anytime I use ah, it. Nice. So whether or not I'm chaining it or or not, but basically if I'm skilled enough and I can keep chaining death blow, I can stay in berserking you know, uh, for, for long periods of time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Uh, what, what about you? So, yeah, I went with my original plan to roll up a rogue. Her name is Ren, uh, which I realized after the fact, um, that, uh, 
that is that is an uh, accidental Brandon Sanderson reference. I just wanted something simple and short. Um, so one thing I really appreciate about what they've done with the skill tree in Diablo 4, which at first, when you first start, especially with a new class or especially your first character, it does seem kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. There's a lot um, as the like blood meter of the skill tree fills up to open up new shit and new shit and new shit. And with a limited number of actions, um, you know, you, you wind up making, uh, having to make some, some interesting choices. Um, but as you start to understand it, first of all, they let you unspec any point or reset your whole thing at any point in time, which is brilliant. And I think I haven't had to do it yet, but I think ultimately probably necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, Point being, uh, for two reasons. One is that you don't know exactly what you're specking as you start out necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may accidentally put points into something you really don't need later on, especially as you were indicating with so few actions. And while I do like having the constrained action bar um, compared to an MMO that you know makes Diablo Diablo, um, it does put you in an odd situation sometimes where you're like, ah, I really wish I had one or two more spots because of this cool thing that i can do yeah um and that you know depending on your level and everything you might have the um you know you might have the points to to do it with but um you know whatever that's okay uh and the main the main thing here being that um as far as i can tell with every character the skill tree really gives you a huge amount of room to specialize the way that you want to, right? As you said, whirlwind barbarian. Um, and I don't know if there's technically a term uh, for what I'm doing with the rogue, uh, but it's very much a stealth build. Um, you know, I went with the ultimate that uh, creates a, um, what's it called here? Shadow clone. Um, so when I pop my alt, I get a second me and the damage increase is like freaking awesome mm-hmm. um and i've combined that with a couple of skills that that really do emphasize stealth and damage increase on stealth mm-hmm. um so it's like you know pop the shadow clone do the backstab skill which puts me in stealth and then coming out of stealth i get an increased damage re-stealth myself then start raining down some arrows or whatever you know mm-hmm. um it's really satisfying it allows me to have the kind of roguelike experience i really like with a, a rogue class in general where it's like oh shit, stuff's gotten super heavy. I'm going to just stealth out of here for a second and let the tank take the focus and then, you know, pull back, pop a health potion, and then, you know, drop back in for some range damage uh, on like maybe a big, big uh, mob or boss that we're fighting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I also rolled up the druid as the, uh, as the side character uh, who's kind of well, working his way uh, along through the path. He's focused as a bear druid for now um but we'll see i don't know uh that's been fun too because he's definitely tanky the you know druids i think are designed to be capable of of tanking Mm -hmm. and um you know the bear form just suggests tank very very wow uh minded of me i'm sure but um yeah uh oh yeah and i recently got the ability to call in a pack of birds flock of birds (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah i was like why not i will take the birds (laughs) <laughs> yeah um yeah the co-op uh is is sublime um absolutely it's the perfect hangout chill out kind of experience whether we are engaged in conversation or just kind of flowing through the content uh you know 
congratulating each other on levels or or I guess there's not too much of like, oh, look at this new gear because the gear, eh, it's kind of whatever. So I think right when now. we get into later game, uh, yeah. just from chatting from with other friends who are playing it, that um, when whatever the challenge dungeons uh, are, are called. The nightmare dungeons. dungeons. No, nightmare dungeons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like you get a good piece of gear out of running one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, and that might be the point where it starts to get more interesting with like, Oh wow! Look at this drop that I got. But you know where we are right now. Stuff has cool things it does, uh, but it's not like um, you know you're going to just swap it out inside of two levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, typically we're high enough level now to be typically inside of a level. We're like what forty one or something. Yeah, early forties. Yeah, yeah, forty one forties. Yeah, yeah uh, and just the the loop is is fun, and you know. Fill up your your inventory, go back to town, repair your stuff. Something absolutely brilliant that they did in this game is giving you the ability to portal back to town and sell or shard your stuff and go mm -hmm. right back where you were in the dungeon. So, hey, you're, you've cleared out a bunch of stuff, but you know you've got a bunch of dungeon left. It's just a long one, or you've collectively failed to clear your inventory before you, you got into it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not uncommon, because you might have, like, I'm going all the way across this map in order to find this dungeon. Oh, cool, we're at the dungeon, let's get into it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just great design to be able to allow you to do that quick teleport. Um, and the town layouts uh, generally put the stuff you need, like your blacksmith, um, your armor vendor, and your chest for anything you want to stash. Which, like on that quick town visit, that's that's pretty much much what you're after, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, yeah, they they put it all right there, so you can just get the job done fast. So I, I feel like. Blizzard designers have learned a lot over the years, iterations of Diablo and also WoW absolutely informing this game as well. There's clearly like design playthrough in terms of the thinking between World of Warcraft and Diablo, uh, much as they're very different games. There there are some commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is is really smartly designed, like the, uh, the Renown system, uh, being applicable to all of your characters uh, instead Absolutely. of just the one. So what I've been doing with my Necro in solo play uh, is first I get a podcast, uh, <laughs> get that going, and then I turn the game audio up enough so it kind of bleeds through a little bit, you know? Because um, especially with Necro, yeah, I've got my three skills on repeat, minions yeah. do the rest, you know? Uh, and it's engaging at some points, having to heal and all that, but a lot of it you're just kind of rolling through. Um, but uh, I've been focusing instead on the story, uh, I've been focusing on the renown for the various regions so that when I switch back to my main uh, playing with you, then I'll have like, oh, shit, I've got two skill points sitting here that I've earned. Oh, nice. Through doing renown with the other character. Um, so I don't feel like I'm just kind of spinning my wheels and, you know, because it's it's somewhat shallow <laughs> okay actually i, I think this is this is this is the time to talk about the shallowness <laughs> of this game in more than one dimension yeah but it it works but at, at the same point it i mean it works because of the shallowness and in spite of the shallowness i, I think yeah so first because of the shallowness the gameplay the pure ludic component of this game mm -hmm. is not deep right mm -hmm. um there's some depth in thinking about your build but you have six action buttons Mm -hmm. And one of them is almost like by definition, uh, 
going to be the I spam this when I'm not doing anything else button, right? Yeah. Let's take that out of the picture. One of them is by definition, unless you're doing some build, which I'm sure there are builds that don't use an ultimate skill, an ultimate skill mm -hmm. that has a 60 second cooldown, no matter what class. And yeah, you can reduce that with different stuff, but it's a long cooldown. So it's definitionally not something. Okay, great. We're now down to four other buttons. There's just not that much depth. There can't mm -hmm. be, right? There just can't be that much depth. But like you were indicating, I think at, at the ludic level, this game works well because of that shallowness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's never anything standing in in your way of just going and and killing. And you never have to slow down or stop. Like, like you said, you port back to town in an instant, do your stuff. Get right back to it. There's really no load times to speak. You of. get like, in a little bit over your head, but like you can still maybe take it. Okay, yeah. take the damage and you know spend on on your gear when you get back to town if you have to. But like, okay, no, I'm just going to give that another hack. The reload will be quick. I'll mm -hmm. jump right back into that boss fight or world thing that I died on. Um, or alternatively, I got way in too deep. Okay, I'm going to come back to that later. Fuck this shit, right? Yeah. And again, okay, I got way in too deep, and I'm like pretty far. I'll just teleport somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, contrasting that against. A uh, game that I hopefully will return to, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, mm -hmm. where I'm sure you fire you it up and there is a this opaque wall in front of you of like decisions and cognition yeah. and what do I do and how do I do the thing? What do I want to do? What Different can ways I to do, do some of the like, things, right? Yeah. Um, all self -guided. all kinds of shit to build that you can yeah. do. And as of right now, there is simply no contest. Well, between Diablo and any game, because the fun, uh, it's shallow, but it is ever present. It is at your fingertips in in 60 seconds. Um, and Zelda cannot compete. Yakuza 0 cannot compete yeah. <laughs> with, with Diablo at, at, the, at the present time. I'll tell you, Apex can compete, but when I'm looking for a quick fun, like I want to jump into an experience, Diablo can compete with Apex. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it does enough dopamine stimulation that um, I make a decision as opposed to like, I'm making a decision of, do I want to play something with depth, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, or do I just want to jump into a game uh, that is going to be rewarding uh, either through exercise of skill uh, or just through the, the pure, um, you know, whatever you want to call Diablo. I was going to say like uh, impulsion engine <laughs> yeah. of the game drip feed dopamine um and the the production value is is high uh you know there are complaints about endgame uh which i'm sure are valid that you and i don't really have to worry about yet we don't have to um, worry about those yet you know but like the fundamentals the controls feel perfect you know, with, with the controller it's it's fantastic excellent uh, with the controller i wouldn't want to play it with mouse and keyboard yeah. um that was honestly where i hit the wall with diablo 3 mm -hmm. um that I think if I had been playing it with the controller, I would have been like, yeah, this is this is fine. Um, but uh, granted, it would have been like, oh, and now it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that actually brings me to uh, the music. Oh, the music is so impeccable in this game. The music is real good. This is my favorite track. This is Gale Valley, composed by Ted Reedy. It's got that acoustic flavor of, well, Diablo. Absolutely. Um, and it just fits so perfectly with the world and the tone. It feels like um, a 
this track, I hadn't thought about it before, even though I've heard it so many times. Um, I think it's Iron Forge. This is like a dark version of the Iron Forge music almost, only with like some additional heft to it. I can see that. Yeah. I'd have to go back and listen to it. But uh, but like the guitar picking, I was like, is that Iron Forge that had that kind of a... There's somewhere, some, some Alliance location that definitely think, has like... You know what? I think it's Teldrassil that you're thinking of. Oh, maybe it's Teldrassil. Yeah. 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 Or at least it used to. I don't know. Right. Before it all burned <laughs> down or, or who knows what. Uh, I, so, so I've heard. I don't know. Not like yeah. I've been there. So yeah, Gale Valley, just lovely. Yeah. Absolutely lovely. Was there uh, any other uh, any other key tracks you wanted to pull out? No, that was that was it for today. Yeah. So I think that does like uh, a rather clumsily hand off to the other. Well, no, I'll do the less clumsy hand off. Um, the audio production on this game fucking pitch perfect, and the voice mm -hmm. acting on this game is yeah. generally phenomenal. You yeah. know, I feel bad when I skip even like regular. Um, quest dialogue but sometimes I just okay I've read it it's on screen yeah. I've read it and yeah. I'm just talking to some random villager I, I like I don't I don't really need to sit and listen to through full like two minutes of this right mm -hmm. um, but I still feel a little bad because the voice acting is so solid yeah I I'm I tend to skip uh, a, a lot of it um, which is sort of a a failing in in myself in a way of, of patience yeah but sure i just want to get back to killing skeletons uh but the saving grace there is when i play with you then i do absorb most if not all of the the story and dialogue so either way i'm, I'm kind of getting it you know like i said i skip most i i tend to skip through the side quest dialogue um mm -hmm. like i read it but I'm, I'm not going to listen to it. But I want to listen through all or almost all of the main questline dialogue. And obviously then if I'm back on that that druid alt, then yeah, I've already heard it, so I'm not going to spend the time with it. Yeah. But that does actually hand off pretty nicely to the other dimension of this game where it succeeds in spite of its shallowness. And that is the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the actual story for this game is like... I mean, I don't know that it's bolted on. I wouldn't go that far in my criticism of it. I think it is the story of the game. It 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 does not create like ludo narrative dissonance or anything. But it's just so just it's so slim. There's just not much going on here. <laughs> yeah, and I often feel like I'm sort of wandering through other people's stories instead of ha having my own. Yeah, the main character feels like you you as the PC don't really feel like this is really much about you, right? Yeah. You're just kind of helping people get the shit done. Um which yeah, there's co-op, but it feels like it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> the, the game starts off feeling like it's a little bit more about you, but no, no, not really. Yeah, and I mean, I guess what you ate Lilith petals so that's you were fed little special... petals by one of these horrible villagers who you then probably kill the whole village yeah uh you know it's a thing that you do killing villages right you know yeah i thought that that intro bit was 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 unique kind of a surprise when it turns out oh these people drugged me when i was dancing and now they're yep yeah yep yeah yeah the old drug dale right yep <laughs> yeah i actually definitely on that first playthrough um, I was like, uh, 
yeah, it wasn't like a total surprise, but it definitely was like, okay, I assumed that this was going to be the like, oh yeah, that's fine. You've rescued this little town, but this isn't where the real problem lies at all. Mm -hmm. No, no, quite the opposite. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the one point of dissonance is that like the renders are so gorgeous on the cutscenes. Uh, with the narrative part, right? It's not Ludo narrative dissonance, but the renders are so gorgeous on the cutscenes. The voice acting is so rich, and yet the plot is just so damn thin, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, Angel and the Devil had a son, and uh, okay, maybe maybe she created this place. Maybe we we don't know. We're unclear. Mm-hmm. But hosts of hell are going to be like the doors are going to be thrown open and people have to kill them. And what? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, we were just playing, uh, through, through a desert location for the last couple of play sessions. Um, and they introduced the character of, of Mashif. Uh, and, um, there's this conversation going on between Mashif and Lorath. And there were these two quotes I just had to write down because I felt like they were accidentally making or intentionally making meta commentary about the game. Um, one is when Mashif says, ah, an auspicious spot to begin a new adventure. And you're like, you're really making staking your claim here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what this is your angle. This is your angle. You're saying, all right, you know, each it, like speaking for every location of the map in a way that like. Yeah at any given location of the map they want you to feel that and you know by and large it does especially yeah. as you and i are still uncovering the world mm-hmm. um but uh later on lorath says uh, i think lorath says it's important to have something to walk toward it's <laughs> <laughs> just like oh my god you're getting it a little bit too too rich here with regard to how you've set up the mainline quest structure in this game it feels a little bit too on the nose like it's entirely functional. The quest structure is almost entirely functional to make you not get like lose focus or enjoyment out of just slaughtering stuff. You do need a destination mm-hmm. and that destination having something to literally fucking walk toward. <laughs> so funny. anyway, I thought that was really amusing, which is why uh, yesterday I was like, hang on, hang on. I need to write this down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was somewhere in the flesh from bone quest line, which um, brings me to the end of Act Three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, Paul. How many times do you think I was like, "This has to be the end of Act Three? Uh, yeah, and then compounding the fact that you're fighting the same undead guy. Oh, I mean, but like the previous session, like at least twice, yeah. I was like, "This has to be the end of Act Three. But there were also probably at least two times while we were fighting. Uh, what's his? What's his fuck? pale dude eld eldheim or something eldheim uh no but that's definitely <laughs> his name now <laughs> Edim. Uh, um uh, edgeen Ed, Ed <laughs> i don't know we did finally maybe kill him he's probably gonna be back again i feel like he's yeah yeah not done we gotta destroy his phylactery or something yeah something like that man but um, that said, Elias, Elias, Elias. the pale man. Um, that said, uh, that actual conclusion series of fights where where we had to keep fighting him uh, at the conclusion of Act Three was it was really good. Yeah, it was cool. 
you know, it was a good dungeon. And the way that like the fight mechanics escalated until I was literally like on the last one, I was like, okay, this has actually gotten hard enough that people are, you know, that we're going down and having to res each other. Mm -hmm. There's like a lot going on. Like this one has actually got to be the end of act three. And then of course there was like one uh, token quest to actually narratively wrap it up. So once again, I was wrong, (laughs) (laughs) but functionally, functionally I was right. So, yeah. Um, I guess the one other thing I wanted to ask you about um, in relation to uh, the desert location. Um, and yeah, we spent a lot of desert time. And I, I really thought that uh, introducing that part of the map was a great move because it's the first legitimately sunny location when it's daytime. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been like in cold, desolate mountains. We've been on moors. We've been in some other cold, desolate mountains. And now like, here's a desert. It's also like unforgiving, but it actually can feel a little bit like feel a little bit of warmth in the environment. Um, until of course we got to the escort quest with Mashif. And I'm just kind of curious what you thought about it. Uh, it was fun. Yeah. He was, he was a fun character and they, they mixed up the sort of exploration a bit by having you have to follow this guy through a sandstorm where you're constantly taking a little bit of chip damage uh, just enough to keep you on your toes. Um, and then, like, he discovers this old wrecked caravan, and he finds some booze and gets drunk, and then it's like, okay. Which, of course, will ultimately lead to his demise. Yep. But off-screen. Uh, well, so yeah, I, at I least felt the like, grievous wound happened off-screen. Yeah. I felt like it yeah. was a, a nice change of pace. Like, it's not your average escort quest. And he moves. He keeps moving, sometimes out ahead of you, and that's not a problem. Yeah. Um. And uh, I don't know, maybe there's been some stuff like this in WoW since you and I have stopped playing, Um, but it was a a substantial departure from um, a lot of the sucky parts of WoW escort quests. So I really felt like there was some learning there. Um, And the introduction of like um, the wind, like you were saying, uh, with its kind of general debuff damage going on was cool. It was cool and made for uh, uh, just kind of a good, good change of pace in the game. And I, I think that's well, relatively well thought out too, especially seeing as Act Three was really long. Yeah. And what we have three more acts, or is we there have five three more acts? acts? Three more acts? I think okay. there are six. And uh, you know, we just chipped into uh, to Act Four just a little bit, and uh, you know, I'm sure that we will have some further updates uh, in uh, in subsequent episodes. Yeah, and planning our our next move, whatever that might look like you know we'll have the seasons coming uh soonish i think um yeah 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 i'm looking forward to seeing what world tier three uh has to offer once we uh finish the campaign here yeah and once we finish the campaign you know we've got a number of uh number number of friends playing Mm -hmm. um which incidentally they do a great job with the um level difficulty setting totally where it's like hey this is a much more advanced player but you know, or a less advanced player, right? Uh, as we had yesterday, mm-hmm. um, they can still jump in on your current kind of quest location. It's almost like every single enemy game. is instanced per person or per level. It's I don't know how they do it. I I feel like they probably buff up or reduce damage towards whatever is going to be like, you know, they they calibrate the player damage output. I think that that's like the biggest thing that's going on. I'm not 100% well, positive. So, I mean, if 
so like our my coworker Severin was playing with us and he was like level four or something. Um he started with like level two. He rolled in with like level yeah. one or two with a brand uh, new character. So in his world, all the enemies he's seeing are level two or three or oh even shit. the ones so that we are seeing at level forty one. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's like they're but the yet same we're still level. they're they're commensurate level to the player. So they're God, so there must be some weird kind of scaling that's going on where it's like to me, this thing has, let's just call it 200 for the purpose of easy, easy math health. And to him, it has 20. Um, but when, when he does one damage, it'll come across as 10 damage if I'm attacking the same enemy. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty smart. That's a clever-ass system. And that's yeah. much simpler than what I was uh, about to conjecture, <laughs> um, just in terms of like how to manage the scaling. Yeah. Um, but it has to be pretty sophisticated in terms of what it's doing locally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I just broke it down mathematically, that's not sophisticated, but that doesn't mean that programmatically it doesn't need to be somewhat sophisticated. It probably does. I'd imagine so. Yeah. And on the scale that we're looking at as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for me with Diablo for this week. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a wrap on Diablo as we have wrapped up the desert. I assume we're heading to some other climb now because it would be strange if we weren't. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we will also head to the first feature of our show. It's time for Game Ranks. What do you got, Moses? Well, Paul, uh, as I, I continue to struggle with the games, I really want to rank, but haven't finished, so I don't know where they're going to rest. Um, and games that, um, you know, I have finished that all run into a messy middle, I decided to go, um, I'll just call it, uh, thematic this week with a game that I've enjoyed a great deal with you and uh, which I have, have jokingly referred to with a, a theme from uh, this little ditty by the police where you're going what what in the world well it involves golf in a desert and it is in fact desert golf which one yeah. you could also think of as the in the Sahara. <laughs> All right, fine. I finally got to make the joke on the pod. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, Desert Golf, man. Um, you and I have spent some time on the pod talking about its successor. Is it Golf on Mars? Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, grabbed us for a minute. Uh, I will probably never rank golf on Mars unless we're literally into like the 700th game or something. Because mm -hmm. uh, Desert Golf is the encapsulating experience for this. Golf on Mars was was a worthy successor that got us back into it for a minute. I think this is only the second mobile game uh, that I've ranked. You Must Build okay. a Boat was the, the first one. Oh, unless I'm counting Carcassonne iOS. Uh, I should probably count that. But anyway, I don't, not a true, for me, not a truly mobile game since I played it on iPad. And uh, tablet is not doth not equal mobile in my mind. You can have a, a fundamentally different experience. Um, but Desert Golf, I think we hit it in like 2014, maybe? Sounds about right. You know, and um, it was introduced, or you introduced it to me as the Dark Souls of Angry Birds. Um, <laughs> which I think is, is quite accurate, because it's just that basic, simple physics uh, simulator with just progressively more dreadful, although maybe somewhat randomized uh, challenges for you to overcome as you try to, to tee up hole over hole over hole. 
Um, and it's definitely one of the mobile games that I've just spent a lot, a lot of time with. And it's fr equally frustrating and relaxing in the yeah. same measure. You know, yeah. this is the reason why I was like, you know what? In, as simple as this game is, as uh, much as there are games that will outrank it, um, it's a really good fit. It's a really good fit that definitely should be on my list sooner rather than later. You know, will it probably get bumped out of the top 100 eventually? Yeah, but for now, Desert Golf, uh, my 83, my rank 83 game, my 85th ranked game, uh, coming after The Hobbit and before Thexter. Hmm. And uh, I don't really have too much more to say on it. It's just simple and elegant. Yeah, and uh, functionally endless, I, I think. I think eventually there was a hole that was like glitched and couldn't be beaten. Yeah. But even that, I think, maybe was fixed. Certainly in... in Golf on Mars, uh, it would have been fixed, but yeah, absolutely. In Golf on Mars, you had the uh, skip function, if I recall That's correctly. True. Yeah, after uh, X number of, of par, whatever, on a given hole, you could you could skip it if you needed to, and that might have been their fix for it. Because Golf on Mars definitely randomized the hole design. I don't think Desert Golf did. I think we were like, because you and I were keeping track, we were competing against each other in Desert Golf. Yeah, and then it yeah. would be like, oh God, I've I'm a few holes ahead of you. Like, oh, just wait for this one. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me almost wonder uh, if we should dip back into golf on Mars at some point. Maybe it's been updated or. Yeah. Or who knows? I mean, I fix. definitely was on a broken hole on golf on Mars. Yeah. I yeah. sent you a screenshot of it and you're like, wait, that's not my hole. Whatever. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm giving up on this hole. It was, <laughs> it looks like a super meat boy level, except you can't move around that way. Right. <laughs> but nice. uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, for myself this week, um, in my new number 85 position is Far Cry on Ooh. the personal computer, uh, the the very first Far Cry. And I remember seeing like print magazine ads for it and wanting to make a PC and not having a PC and Ooh, yeah. just being super, super jazzed about it. Um, and it was it was a true like leap in terms of graphical fidelity and detail uh and precision of control like going from a controller to a mouse and keyboard for a first person shooter uh, yeah um and it just let you loose on this island chain this beautiful tropical island chain and there were mercenaries and eventually uh monsters and however you wanted to handle it you know if you want to grab the jet ski go around back sneak through the jungle you want to get into a, a jeep with a machine gun on top and blaze through uh, anything in between um and <laughs> i just can't yeah i can't even fully articulate how incredible it looked like it was going it's like it was going from one generation to another in terms of console because in many ways it was um sure and you know creeping through the the foliage and uh just the freeform nature of it um you know i'd had experiences similar to it on console and maybe on PC in the, the distant past, but um, it was truly revolutionary. And I had my, my, my subwoofer and my speakers and I was like living uh, on my own for the first time. And Ooh, yeah, you know, it just felt real good. Those big beefy explosions when like the red barrels would explode and, and stuff like that. Um, and I was playing one night and uh, you know, the subwoofer was always a little too loud. 
-hmm. it had its own volume dial and you, I would turn it all the way down, but it would still be a little on the loud side. And so I'm playing for a while. I don't know why I just wasn't wearing headphones, but, uh, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the, the door, the apartment door. And I go, and it's a police officer. And <laughs> she was like, you know, are your parents home? And I'm like, I mean, I'm 19 and maybe I, I you know, look young, but come on. I'm like, no, this is my, <laughs> yeah, apartment. Like my apartment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the upstairs neighbor had called the police, uh, could have maybe come down and said something, but, but I get it. You don't always want to do that. Um, but I felt very spoken down to by the the cop. Imagine that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, abs <laughs> that, absolutely. And, and like, no, I'm serious. Like, come and knock on my door before you call the cops. Yeah. That's just messed up. Like, I'm. I, it's one thing if you are a house over. Yeah. If you don't know your neighbor who's in the house next door, it's kind of a big deal to walk out of your house to knock on the door. But if you're in an apartment complex, like, come on. Yeah. And it was a it was even a house. It was just she was the upstairs. You know, oh no, that's even worse. Yeah. So yeah, it was like a split unit where they'd converted it to to apartments basically. Yeah. And we didn't like yeah. know each other or, or talk. Uh um, but I mean I'm very sympathetic to that because I'm super sensitive to noise and especially bass noises. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would have, you know, felt bad and and rectified it. But uh not gonna lie, I tend to try to find places when I move that have some acoustic flexibility so that if I want to make some noise at a late hour, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't always uh, work out that way though. Headphones are great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the Far Cry series uh, grew and, and changed significantly from there. Um, Far Cry 2 is kind of on my bucket list because it's of how weird it is and like hardcore and like you get malaria and you have to keep injecting yourself throughout the game and like... Um, Interesting. Never quite quite been able to make that that work. Uh, and then I enjoyed Far Cry Three uh, for a while, um, and then haven't really played. Yeah, I played since. two hours of like one of them, and this would have been in like 2018 or 19. So whichever Far Cry that was, yeah, four yeah. maybe five. Four. They're on six now, right? Yeah, that was the most recent one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, it's one of those games that, uh, as far as I can tell, they're doing what they're doing, yeah, improving on what they've been doing. Um, but you maybe have to have the, the hankering to do that thing. Yeah. Yep. Right uh, on. So, yeah, that is my new number, 85. Nice. I like how that anchors to a moment, you know, um, in terms of gaming progression, uh, you're your intro to it um definitely mm -hmm. it makes the connection it makes the connection like yeah it's not just what this gameplay experience is it's how it bridged for you in your your gaming journey absolutely uh coming up next um moses i i think i'm gonna skip my tell me about for this week but did you have a tell me about oh i i, I do um but uh did you have a what i love about i do Oh, is that what we normally do next? <laughs> it is. This is what happens to folks take two weeks away from the pod and it just all goes to shit. Uh, right. So, Paul, I don't know. Uh, what's our next feature? Well, I think our next feature is uh, is what I love about. And uh, if you want to kick things off, Moses. I ain't got no love this week, Paul. But, oh, uh, shit. but I, you know, a little bird told me that you might. Uh, I do. I do. And uh, it's a topic that you are quite familiar with. 
Moses, um, what I love about gaming this week is you. Oh, wow, Paul. Um, you know, gaming is often a pretty solitary hobby for me, and that's on purpose. I like getting immersed and, yeah. and getting in deep and doing my thing. Uh, co-op is, is more of a rare thing yeah. for me, uh, as is competitive play. Um, and there's usually only one person I'd, I'd want to invite into that space and, and that's yourself. Um, right, you know, man. uh, as alluded to several times, you know, it's been a whale of a year for yeah. me, like mostly good things, but definitely some, some, some sorrow, some grieving, uh, you know, some of which you and I have, have shared. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, gaming's always been there for me. And, and so have you, you know, through this podcast, through Diablo co-op, through all of our chats and, and theorizing, yeah. Um, and, you know, there would be, uh, I don't know, lesser uh, forms of, of what you and I have, I'm sure, that I would have had to scrabble and, and pick over, over the years, but I really haven't needed to. Sure, because it's like, well, you need somebody to play co-op with, and if you don't have somebody, you're going to track down somebody, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and then uh, getting to enjoy uh the finale of baseball as as we see it here you know with uh, the black hole event um and then all of the i mean we had a lot of fun getting hyped up for baseball again and, we, we did we did you know and you it know. ended in tragedy and i swear man if i hadn't had someone to share the the unique tragedy because you can't tell someone oh this fake baseball thing didn't work they're right they might be like oh too bad but they're not gonna they're not gonna get it you know um yeah so having you to uh to grieve when and reflect with you know has has made it a hell of a lot easier to to get through absolutely and you know you and i both talked about grieving with our teams on discord but mm -hmm. that's different because neither of us have people who were tight enough with on the discord that we would be getting up on mic with them or or on a you know i don't know conference call nobody does that anymore right yeah <laughs> Um, and yeah, you know, our uh, illustrious history of, of games and play are, you know, ill-fated uh, Dark Souls Let's Play. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, you made it at least halfway through. Um, Almost halfway through, probably, right? It depends on where you want to cut the... Yeah. How, how you want to slice the Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, all the, the board gaming and all the other ephemera uh, to, go, to go with this. Um, so... Yeah, man. Just wanted to uh, reiterate my my appreciation for your friendship. Man, Paul, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And believe me when I say the feeling is mutual. There are other folks, uh, you know, to game with periodically here and there. But um, co-op gaming and talking games with you is just a, it's the anchor of uh, of my gaming life as well. So it's very, very reciprocal. Right on, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, uh, any... Uh... Any love from you this week? No, apart from reciprocation, but uh, <laughs> I, right. I, I, I'm sure I'll have something topical uh, for the next episode. Yes. Uh, great. Well, uh, we will then move ahead to the next feature of the show. I don't know if we have a, a name yet for it or not. Oh, no, no, no. I've got to tell me about. Oh, you have a tell me about. All right. See, we're. So let's we're... move to the next feature of the show. <laughs> we're, uh, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're learning it all over again. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, in that case, it is time for Tell Me About. Well, Paul, I know that uh, one factor uh, after we've gotten over some baseball grieving in our in our modest delay here is that you got out camping last week. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this might, in fact, be a, more of a board game question, uh, but I was wondering if you could tell me about your favorite or a favorite camping game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually a pretty easy answer. It's got to be uh, Pigmania, a.k.a. Pass the Pigs. Oh, yeah. Pigmania. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The the rubber pig rolling game. Uh, they, they roll like dice and you interpret their positions and, and score accordingly. Um, really lightweight. You just need a stable surface to play on. And, uh, you know, it comes with a little booklet to keep score. Sure. Um, and we played by, uh, lantern light. It was this little flint, you know, candle lantern oh, nice. that Laura had. And, yeah. um, so, you know, I had brought, uh, code names and, I, uh, I think one other, and I brought the switch, which we didn't, uh, even touch. I'm like, oh, maybe we'll want to play like Moncala or something on the switch, but sure. sure. Um, but yeah, the ease of play of Pass the Pigs, the the speediness of it, you know, you can crank out a few games in a half hour. Absolutely. Um, and man, uh, Laura is queen of the Razorback. Really? Like, that's all she rolls is Razorbacks and double Razorbacks. Holy smokes. I don't know how she does it, but she she won all three games handily. That shouldn't even be possible. Yeah. Um, like, almost definitionally, that shouldn't be possible. But it got to the point because, you know, you can do a hog call and try and predict what your opponent's going to roll. And then they get negative points and you get positive points if you get it right. So I was able to hog, hog call uh, Razorback a few a times, times. Yeah. and then nice. even things up. But but then I'd be like, you know what, I'm not going to hog call this time because there's no way she's rolling another Razorback. And then there it would be. I'm like, I was going to hog call and I didn't. But there was no way you were going to roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Right on, man. An excellent choice. Um, and uh, that that's a, you know, I can, I can see it. I feel like your only challenge might be that surface, finding, finding a surface to roll on, but uh, I, you know, clearly you can make do. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good stuff. And I, I would almost say that it's a feature of past the pigs that if your surface isn't perfect, then it just adds a different dimension yeah. to the game. It's all, all equal for both, both players. So, yeah. Righteous. Well, I mean, that's a, that's all then. I figured this would be a quick one. I've had a bunch of front matter to to this up. So yeah. up with the, uh, what with the di Diablo? No, no, I said I wasn't going to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, as uh, alluded to, I don't think we have a name for this feature yet, nor do we know how long it's going to persist, but uh, we've been reading a, a book. Uh, it's true. Yeah. And I don't even know that uh, it'll be persistent so much as this may be an occasional feature uh, where it's like, hey, let's read a book together. And then once you have a podcast, you're like, there are no rules. Right. <laughs> Who says what my content can be? So, so yeah, I, uh, we've been reading Dune myself for the first time. And you have read it once before. Functionally right? speaking for the first time, I never finished it. You okay. know, uh, I bounced off of Dune because I basically only read fantasy as a kid. And mm -hmm. there's a little bit of sci-fi here or there. And coming back to Dune, there's two funny things. One is that, like, I did know the whole story. And I, I'm not entirely sure how. Um, because I did just force Angelica <laughs> force. I asked her and she complied with, um, with, uh, you know, watching the David Lynch Dune last night. Okay. Knowing that we were going to be, uh, talking about it, uh, this week, probably today. Um, and oh my God, there are parts of it that are very true to the book, mm -hmm. <laughs> but so much of it goes so wildly off the rails. Hmm. 
um, that there's no way. Part of my thinking was, well, you know, I'd read the beginning and maybe I'd reconstructed the rest of the arc of it in my mind from the David Lynch Dune, but that's that's not the case. <laughs> so I don't know, conversations with many people about Dune over the years. Um, it's not like there are any big narrative surprises uh, that hit me. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm utterly captivated, um, which for various reasons doesn't happen that frequently for me in books. Uh, you know, if I find the right book, you know, Anathem or or Dune, I am I'm glued to it. Um, but I mean, just on a on a fundamental level, regardless of the subject matter, like his writing style is so satisfying. This is a key po point. Frank Herbert's writing is just solid it's really good so for such a long book most of the time people who write long books are wasting a lot of words you know mm -hmm. and jk rowling stephen king like it's not a question of critiquing their story but at a level of the technical writing of some of those long books it has so much deadwood in it and the thing about herbert is that like no each chapter is as long as it needs to be mm -hmm. he does not waste words you know it's just very, very well written. Yeah, and it starts off quick. You know, mm -hmm. he's right into the Gam Jabbar on like page three. Yeah, and and it's already layering in the various, you know, the the Bene Gesserit uh, witches and their whole plan. And um, but yeah, his his way with with words, the way he describes uh, light and mm -hmm. how light interacts with with the sand or clouds or you know it it almost feels tolkien-esque to me in how like buttery and evocative and rich these these passages are tolkien definitely comes to mind when reading herbert uh for for that same reason tolkien doesn't waste words he does really rich description um there is not a lot when, when he is telling instead of showing either either you know herbert or tolkien it's because they are literally telling lore that informs the current moment. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, there is almost no exposition. And I think that's something that's common between, between both authors, like including with, with a lot of the lore, you were just referring to the part uh, in terms of like the Bene Gesserit and their, their plan, mm -hmm. uh, you know, their um, breeding plan, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in including something that's not totally elucidated, uh, but this idea of like human and and not human, when uh, clearly th these are all humans by how we might mm -hmm. define them in a in a in a you know conventional sense. Um, he just introduces these elements, and he doesn't have to explain them. You know, they just play out through the conversation between the characters, and um, that's something that Lynch. Uh, I'll be curious to see the new Dune. That's something that Lynch, and partially maybe it was the 80s, but I think partially also it was the subject matter and trying to make a single movie out of it. Um, and it's not a very Lynchian thing to do, but he folds on this. There are moments where there is just, you know, just straight up. You got, It starts with the, with the Princess Irulan, um, like literally exposition drop. Here's what this story is about, you know? Um just totally unnecessary the way that Herbert writes. You could see a lesser writer would have done that. Mm -hmm. um, he achieves a little bit of it through the princess's uh, little quotes that lead from her various writings that lead each chapter. Yeah, which I think is, those are always really fun. And you can sort of see maybe or guess what what themes or even just mm -hmm. plot points he's sort of setting up or teasing out. 
And sometimes it's a direct handoff from the previous chapter, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, we're going to bridge you with this little bit here. And also what you can infer about the future of this world and, and its characters. Uh, Definitely. You know, like a million deaths were not enough for for Dr. Yue. And, right. Uh, and even the titles of of the books, like Arrakis Awakening or whatever the the, the words of Muad'Dib or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. Even the fact that there's like whatever six or seven different books that are her writings that are that are that these quotes are coming from, and clearly she wrote them at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have like nothing else on her. Is there one chapter? There's one chapter, right? Um, I think where she is like uh makes an indirect appearance. Hmm. I don't recall that actually. Maybe, maybe not. Not a direct appearance. Okay. Um, and I am like two chapters from the the tail end of the book. Okay. Um, you might have gotten a little further than me. But this would be earlier. This would be, oh, be I see. much yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, it might have been indirect. It might have been in the conversation with the Duke and the Baron. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the all the different factions and, you know, you get enough of the story at the beginning to get you hooked, but there are still these mysteries uh like you know why the emperor wanted to get rid of of leto and eventually that's revealed you know he's got his feeling threatened uh by the duke's prowess when it comes to raising a, a fighting force one that could yeah. rival uh, his his sardacor forces yep. um and i like how you don't really see them or hear about them in action much it's all indirect but you know that they're going to be throwing down in the next book or maybe towards the end of this book there's going to be some direct well i mean we've had a few few contacts with them right right but never like uh yeah just but but brief. not like in force not in mass when they've yeah. acted in mass which happens relatively early in the book mm-hmm. uh early you know m- mid early mid something like mm-hmm. that um it is all off screen so to speak right mm-hmm. it's like all the massacring that takes place yeah. like if you come in we come in after the fact with ua and with you know Paul and Jessica being being shuttled away, but it's after the actual like mass military conflict took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then similarly, um, you know, we learn that the Fremen like decimate them, <laughs> but we yeah. see almost none of it, right? right. Yep. Uh, and yeah, I also like how Paul has every right to be pissed off and want this jihad that he sees is coming, but he's actually trying to avoid it. Right, Even if it's putting him at odds with his mother, uh, his his terrible purpose. His terrible purpose, yeah. right? His terrible purpose is is you know to to launch jihad across the galaxy, um, mm-hmm. and it is apparently maybe what the Benny Gesserit want, mm-hmm. uh, but the politics of that are also unclear. You know, uh, is it what's foretold with him as the as the Quizwat uh, Quizwat Sadrach? Mm-hmm. Um, and what they are trying to plan towards or not hard to say, uh, or even whether their politics have diverged from the prophecy or to what extent they think they control the prophecy. Because mm-hmm. Jessica certainly, at least early in the book, um, sees the work that the, that the Benny Gesserit have done on Arrakis as being uh, essentially fabrication for control. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she's not, she doesn't really, um, 
in her interiority, which is something you mentioned to me earlier on in reading the books, which is absolutely stunningly done as well. Yeah. The extent where even in a given single chapter, it doesn't matter which character is the primary center of that chapter, you still get the internal, you know, monologue of any character whose thoughts are relevant to making the scene work. Yeah. I haven't read many books that do that. And now I almost wonder why. Like maybe it's really hard to pull off, but like I getting think that sort of is. insight. At all times, usually you only have like a main character or a chat, the character of that chapter. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, it's been so long since I've read Ice and Fire, um, because the series will never wind up getting finished. <laughs> um, I can't remember whether, like, you know, you know, in an Arya chapter, do we hear Arya's internal workings? I think so. I think so. Um, and that's not uncommon, especially in fantasy as a genre, it's not uncommon to give your protagonists inner workings like the the FaceTime to to be able to see inside their head. But but yeah, this fluidity between characters, I can't think of another single book that that does it. And it does seem to me that it would be hard to write that in a mm -hmm. way that doesn't feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I love, you know, we're we're getting in on the ground floor of this grand space epic with these different houses. I'm sure we're gonna learn more about that. You know, I'd mentioned hoping that we see is it Salusa Secundus or something like that, the the prison planet. Yeah, the prison planet from which the Starducker uh are you know cultivated. Mm -hmm. Um fucking so epic concept too. Yeah. And the way that that kind of plays out and is revealed. It's referred to earlier on, and you don't necessarily know why. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as the story un unfolds, the characters let you know. But uh, but part of that is that it's an unconfirmed, like the emperor doesn't want that known. Right. So many know, but not everybody knows. It's not a public fact at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the uh, the evil Harkonnens, you know, uh, they're, but I mean, even they have an interesting culture and traditions and. Absolutely. I guess they're very evil, you know, <laughs> um, and they're very plotting, but. Mm -hmm. But you still have reasons to be curious about the characters. I mean, the Baron is the Baron is a problematic character on <laughs> sure. on the face. Yeah. Um. You know, there there there's definitely there are definitely some issues there, um, including the obvious like fat shaming implied or expressed. Yeah, it's a little. That's the one thing that feels dated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. I guess you can have a fat character and describe their fatness maybe in a way that's not doesn't come across poorly, I mean in the but... case of the Baron it's kind of like it's conceit of sci-fi of the world that he's building in terms of he has these uh you know suspensors that allow him to move where he otherwise would be like incapable of moving because of being so morbidly obese um and as a concept to insert into a sci-fi moment that's one thing but then to make that character the most evil character in the story is problematic for obvious reasons yeah. now is problematic for obvious reasons right yeah. um like oh let's just layer that on and we'll make the fat guy the evil guy like oh no 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 why did you do that but then again you were writing this in the 70s so yeah. um or 70s or when did when did i think 60 60s yeah 60s yeah probably um but then you get fade rautha and right. fade is an interesting character he's evil too but he's interesting you know yeah, yeah. Um, the way they play out the entire arena scene mm -hmm. uh, and how he is trying to subplot beneath his uncle's plots. Mm -hmm. Like, very cool. Yeah, along with the uh, 
the Mentat, the ex Atreides Mentat, I forget his name, Hawat. Yeah, Gufir. Um, Gufir Hawat. Yeah. Uh, 1965. Wow. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Gufir's uh, predecessor, um, Pitter, mm -hmm. I, I think it was, um, who's like the absolute evil Mentat, you know, supreme assassin spy, um, but who who de gets done in by 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 Leto's, uh, you know, attempt at assassinating the Baron gone wrong. So, um, just really good stuff, though. Just absolutely um, phenomenal writing. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm mere pages away from from wrapping up the first one. I've got a couple of other reads I want to get back to before uh, jumping into further Dune. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, which I mean, how many Dune books? are there i believe there's five i'm on the wrong page to find out so yeah i was commenting to you pre-pod that um i was talking with my with my mom about this last night and about how you know having not read through it previously um you know this is the same same page frank herbert died in 86 in 99 brian herbert and Kevin J. Anderson published several collections of prequel novels as well as two sequels. Good Lord. Hmm. So. I didn't know that other people had written Dune books, but here they are. Yeah. So Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, um, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune, Chapter House Dune, Hunters of Dune, Sandworms of Dune are, pre are sequels written by uh, Herbert's son, Brian Herbert and Anderson. But then there's also the Butlerian Jihad, Legends of Dune, and Great Schools of Dune, written by those two, as well as Prelude to Dune. So overall, you got, what, five, nine, ten, fourteen books? Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, but, you know, just the three, four, five, six, uh, written by Frank Herbert. Uh, and this led, of course, my mom to saying she was talking to her brother, and my uncle said... Uh, she was expressing her her displeasure when an author, once they've created the universe, seems unable to break themselves from writing the big long arc of it. And apparently, my uncle's comment on this was, "Yeah, I don't know what comes next, the bar mitzvah of Dune," which <laughs> <laughs> still makes me laugh. Um, and just as an aside, she was mentioning that like there, are, when authors get away with this, so to speak, when they do it well, it's actually when they create the universe but aren't writing a big epic tale. They use the place they've created to tell more individual stories. Um, Terry Pratchett is a really good example of that with his Discworld novels mm -hmm. where um, it never feels belabored because it's not like, oh God, we've killed the big bad, but now there has to be a new big bad. No, this is a different character in a different corner of the world having an experience that may or may not be a pendulum, uh, you know, swing of, of good and evil, may or may not be the precipice of, of you know, of civilization's collapse or whatever. Sometimes it's just somebody having a story. Yeah. Um, whereas obviously, yeah, Herbert is writing in that oeuvre of like the epic tale mm -hmm. on which the fate of existences, you know, ride. Yeah, I think I'm, um, yeah, I'll be wrapping up the first one here in the next couple of days. And then I bought um, House of Leaves. I'm not sure if you've read that or are familiar with that. It's an experimental, experimental horror novel. Mm. Um, and you page through it and it looks like parts of it look like an E.E. E. Cummings uh, poem with the way the okay. text is like scattered across the page or sure 
there'll be page after page of like the regular book, but then these columns of like upside down text of another Oh, God. Okay. thing. And, um, Yeah. and it's supposed to be really scary too. And I haven't read a horror book in a really long time. Um, So that's definitely piqued my my interests, um, but I think after that I will resume uh, the Dune Chronicles. Yeah, I've got a, a short story collection that I've got to wrap up. Um, okay, the title is eluding me at the moment. Uh, bloody hell, this memory librarian? Yeah, Memory, Memory Librarian by Janelle Monáe. Um, she collabs on each short story with a different author, all in the same in the same world. And I was in the middle of that one and kind of slow going on it. But the nice thing for me about getting back to Dune, getting to Dune and back to, to reading, um, it's really, it presented me with an opportunity to restructure how I was relating to my reading time, something I've been meaning to do. Um, and this book was engaging enough to just push me over the line to do it. which is um, especially in the evening, I'll force myself after like no more than half an hour of Reddit to get off of something that is in a doom scroll feed structure and into something long form. Uh, and, um, you know, you get this feeling when you're on, you know, modern written feed structure content of as if you've lost the ability to focus. And I, it's not actually true, at least for me. Yeah. You know, I just need to push myself to do it and then it's easy to do. And Dune was engaging enough to help me do that little bit of a push, but I don't feel like it's a limiter now. And granted, I know that if I were reading some really dry nonfiction, for instance, I'd be like, and uh, never mind, I'm going to put this down after five minutes and go back to Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a different challenge entirely. But, you know, before there was social media, I would have been like, I'm going to put this down after five minutes and do something else anyway. So. Yeah. You know, um, but as far as choosing stuff that, that you want to be engaged with, it's compelling to read. Uh, Dune's really been been a great opportunity for me to restructure some of uh, my my time. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Reddit, you know, they killed off third party apps and my beloved Yep. bacon reader no longer works. And I'm like, well, that's it. I'm done with Reddit and I still might be, but I did install the official app and it's not that bad. Uh, except for one thing, which is probably going to be a deal breaker for me because I fucking hate it. So I love just scrolling the regular feed, right? Like you go into your subreddits and you look at specific stuff, but it's nice just to kind of scroll the feed. You get all your subreddits mixed together, but the stupid official app keeps suggesting other subreddits Yeah, I hate that. that I'm not interested. I don't care about white people Twitter. I don't care about, am I the asshole? I don't care about bad drivers and now i'm seeing this video of this thing that like slightly stresses me out like You know, that's gotten worse recently too. oh my And god I, it's got to be part of the monetization strategy. Um, and that's frustrating because it's like you're you're shoving ads in between stuff and have been for a while. And it, it it's not a deal breaker. The number of ads is not that bad. mm -hmm. it really But isn't um you know they're there but they're not they don't take over <laughs> you know um and they're a little annoying but you can scroll right past them yeah but the problem with suggested content is it kind of masquerades as your content until you right notice it's not your content and that is definitely it would be really nice to have a way to turn that off and it has gotten worse recently for sure And I block these individual subreddits as they get suggested to me, but now I'm worried I'm going to be pushed further into like the fringes where there's even more stuff that I don't want to see if, if Yeah, I'm blocking I mean, it these may other, be, you know. it may be um, like 
I don't know. I blocked r slash teenagers because I was like, <laughs> why in the world are you trying to push this on a middle-aged man? This is not appropriate <laughs> yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, white people Twitter has overlap with a sub I subscribe to in terms of content. So okay. like, I don't know. There's enough overlap there that I don't mind seeing it, but I am starting to get some of what you're talking about as well. So it's worrisome. And ultimately it might leave the only alternative being a uh, computer only Reddit. Yeah. Which might be healthier of not having any social media on my phone at all, except I guess Insta. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, what I do know is it is time for the final feature of our show. That it it's is. time for Make My Game. Coming this week from Firepixel Studios is X-Chase. X-Chase. Uh, Kind of like exchange, uh, but uh, X Chase. X Chase. There's a little wrinkle there. I'm not. There's a glimmer or something. It's not super. For Fire Pixel Studios, it's not so fire as I might hope. Yeah. I don't know. I I think I'll uh, I think I'll veto, and we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, Master Lust. <laughs> All one word. <laughs> we gots to. We gots to make master lust. Wow. Uh, unfortunately slash fortunately, we are now going to navigate what it is uh, to make the right kind of offensive game to the wrong people. <laughs> master lust. <laughs> and, uh, and I do think that is the trick here with a title like master lust. Um, but then again, you know, most like cheeky porn games they don't have a name like master lust yeah like if you're gonna name your game master lust you're taking uh you're taking this topic head on no pun intended um i see like and the, the, we do not have to go with this it's just what i first see is a shodan style intelligence that is able to uniquely identify each person's proclivities and maybe imprison them in sort of some sort of hedonistic VR hell or uh yeah that's that's my first blush are you playing as the ai mm. i think you are i think for us to make this interesting we're I, i'm going to go with i uh, i'm going to yes and this and say that um you are a well-intentioned you are a well-intentioned you know master ai uh and you're not necessarily trying to imprison or you don't realize that you that that you are effectively imprisoning people in a in in these vr conditions mm -hmm. that are are designed to have them locked into whatever it is they lust for not necessarily uh you know sometimes but not always sexual things mm. right um, but you're, um, and so it's got like a, just a touch of, uh, of brain candy, kids in the hall brain candy to it in terms of people being locked in their, in their bliss. Mm -hmm. Um, so without getting into where this goes narratively, um, you know, you're definitely an anti-protagonist. Uh, you are you are trying to do the wrong thing for what you think are the right reasons, but mechanically speaking, what does what does this game look like? 
I like the idea that we've got some form of network visualization where one of the dynamic things that's happening is people logging on. And so you're, you, you need to find nodes where people are logged on in order to be able to attempt um, to figure them out um, and satisfy them. (laughs) Um, So you, do you have sort of a godlike view on people's lives, even as they are not logged in? I guess you'd almost have to, right. To, to discover what they're into. Except it can only be things that were logged. So let's assume that Ah, in spite of the immersiveness of this future simulation type environment, let's assume that like people have like AR interfaces and and tracking stuff, but you as the master lust system, (laughs) you only have whatever has been recorded, not deleted, not everything's backed up, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, files can fragment, right? Um, So... Uh, and one of the things you're trying to do is like group like individuals so that you can optimize systematically and be able to satisfy as many people at once. Mm -hmm. You know what? Maybe in early game, um, we're not at the point. It it becomes revealed later game that you're like locking people up and freezing them because, um, you're progressively trying to satisfy people more and more, right? And early on as a system, you know, you've been this task like, create five minutes satisfying experience for a hundred users, you know, like, um, but yeah, so maybe like, um, yeah, you become aware of users across the network, but I like this idea that like, uh, you, you're spending part of your time browsing, uh, browsing through the records that you have access to for a user to try and figure out, uh, or even aggregate users to try and pinpoint, uh, common themes or elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe you have some sort of, maybe the the more people you have in your loop, the more whatever this currency you have to spend uh, is available to you, and then you can buy more delights and, and amusements or different renders or different environments to, uh, to try and keep the party going. I like this, and essentially what, what you're actually buying is like um, processor time that is being allocated to you um you know, as, um, uh, as a program, mm-hmm. right. Um, you're, you're essentially making the case to the system administration, which is itself like a master AI, right. Um, but you're making your, your case to, to allocate more resources to you so that you can more effectively research and more effectively gratify humans. Mm-hmm. And like, what if maybe the overarching motivation, like, Earth is like bedlam, society has failed, it's just chaos everywhere. But if if a person's jacked into this service, they are actually getting a drip feed of like nutrients and or sleep or whatever they need. And it kind of keeps them docile so that they're not out there, you know, lighting another gas station on fire or something. But maybe then eventually you have a choice of like fulfilling that destiny or taking the shackles off, making programs that increase people's rebellion, uh, uh, maybe against this authoritarian system, or maybe just for the fuck of it. I don't know. It could be, it could be just bleak like that. I, I am sensing a sequel <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of game scope creep, but something that you could easily like 
build on top of your existing system for a different set of mechanics in a sequel game that might involve bleeding into um, what users do when they're not jacked into the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, and uh, I I don't know, that actually arguably gives a nice uh, reason for the game to run into an end state, into a narrative conclusion that is actually pretty bleak where it's like, you are discovering that in order to reach uh, completion on this game, you are are in fact actually really robbing people of agency and mm-hmm. locking them in these pleasureful moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that narratively speaking, this is the like the last act and how it plays out. But then uh, you could you know kind of leave the the hook at the end to play it towards like uh, a sequel all of Westworld season three, which I still haven't watched and I've heard isn't necessarily worth it of uh, breaking out of the, um, you know, of the fiction, breaking out of the simulation and into, into the real world with your, your consequences of your actions. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that in terms of um, the, uh, like the research and kind of selection of verbs part of it Mm -hmm. for engaging with users. Um, I'm almost seeing something that makes use, well, makes use of actual AI, uh, you know, large language model AI kind of related uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of spidering out um, related verbs and adjectives Mm -hmm. um, that you're going to be able to like make clusters out of and draw connections between, but then equally focus in on and oh, it's horrible. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Sorry, listeners, as a a cat emerges on screen. but uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing something that's like very language driven and kind of abstracted down, um, and that allows you to kind of attach users to it and visualize some some kind of um, you know, data visualization in in relation to your your various vi- verbs, adjectives, eh, nouns, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, um, but you know, it's really driven around uh around a, a kind of um, semantic or even syntactical construction um activity uh yeah. where you're like trying to put together what what the little subroutines are that you're running yeah yeah that seems pretty robust i mean i can almost visualize what that ui might look like and it seems like it could be somewhat novel yeah it's like anti-scribble knots in a way right um the words are surfacing for you and you are selecting from among them mm-hmm. um and as you're selecting they can spider out and give you more more options but instead of it necessarily being like driven by recognizing what words you come up with um it's much more more driven by it having is um you know deep vocabulary um and that you're maybe drawing new connections and associations through um i mean shoot that could be pretty wild in terms of replayability that um it's got like kind of a basic schema that it comes with but as you play and you make connections um that it might get uh a little bit more wild uh, it's like you've selected this set of words to relate and then you can push and nudge it to create sentences or paragraphs mm-hmm. that are describing what it actually is hmm. uh yeah. which in turn plays forwards because now you've said you've trained you know the actual game ai to say like yeah this is a desirable paragraph to use in this way mm-hmm. hmm. yeah i dig i think uh I think that's pretty solid for Firepixel Studios Masterlust. 
<laughs> I did not think we would get something this substantial out of Masterlust. Yeah. No, we, we made it happen. Some days you just need a challenge. Right. Well, I think uh, with that, we'll move to the final bit of the show here. And um, Moses, any final thoughts from you this week? Just one looking backwards, which is I never thought that the Midwest would be dealing with California style ecological catastrophe conditions. Man, I can't believe you guys have had like hazardous smoke coming down from Canada. Uh, it's it's wild and and horrendous. Um, and uh, yet at least you can you know stay inside and play some video games. <laughs> with my air conditioner that I don't think really filters much. No, so probably not. You might want to change out the filter on that air conditioner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, step outside and like uh, my eyes sting. Like oh, yeah. I've never experienced that before. Yeah. Obviously I have. Yeah. But <laughs> so, yeah, we're back uh, yeah. to like AQI in the 40s and 60s today. So it's it's all good. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I'm sure mine is significantly worse than that, but it won't show up regionally. I live next to a freeway. Oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we keep our doors closed. We have air filters running. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks as always for being here with us this week. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you as always for bringing us together. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.